We are so glad that you're here with us today. Everybody that's connecting with us online, we're so grateful we can offer that and have you connect with us there. Uh, if you would, just in that chat box there, uh, let us know where you're watching from. We always love hearing from you. And if you have any questions or anything you need us to follow up with you on, please just comment there and uh, one of our pastors will follow up with you after the service. Thank you for connecting there. Last Sunday, we began a new series titled Love Reigns, uh, Living in the Hope of Easter. And we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that gives us our hope. That's the event. That is the occurrence that allows us to have hope no matter what we face. His resurrection proves that sin and death, e even that powerful force of death, does not get the last word does not determine what happens to us in the future. And we don't have to live in the fear of death. We can live with the hope of Easter every single day. Today, we continue this series by talking about how the hope uh, uh, that we get there, the reign of the love of God, the reign of the love of God gives us hope, gives us the reason that we can look at our past and say that doesn't control us anymore either. Our past does not have to dictate our present or our future because God's love reigns even over our past. There are a lot of people believe that their past is, is a hindrance to them. It somehow holds them back or, or keeps them down or doesn't allow them to fulfill all of God's plan and purpose for their lives. That somehow they've messed up so bad in the past that they're disqualified now from the things that God could have done in them and through them. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but what a burden to bear, right? Uh, what a heavy weight to walk around with, thinking that I, I messed up so bad now, I, I, I'm damaged goods and God can't really use me. And maybe he can use me some, but not like he could have had I not had that bad thing in my past. And, and, and it's, it's something that is, I think, universal. We see it a lot. Uh, almost every sport on earth has these legends, these uh, maybe myths, you might think, about things in the past that, that they feel like control their destiny now, right? I mean, a lot of you know the most famous one probably was the Boston Red Sox and the curse that they had. They felt like they had. It all started in 1919 when their owner, Harry Frazee, sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. And many Red Sox fans believed that that, they thought, boneheaded decision, right, to sell Babe Ruth to another team is what caused them to suffer 86 years of drought from a world championship. 86 years straight until finally it was broken in 2004 when they won the World Series again. They felt like they couldn't get past their past. They couldn't get past that bad choice, that bad mistake that had been made. And there are many others like that in the sporting world. These legends or these myths about the past controlling something in the present or the future. There's the so-called Madden curse, if you know the, the Madden game. You know, There's the Sports Illustrated cover curse. I mean, the list could go on and on and on, in the, just in the sporting world. And those things are bad enough, but it's worse when individuals feel like their past so weighs them down that they just can't get past it. 
that their sin, their failures, their mistakes, the people they hurt, including themselves, they just can't get past it. And so today we're really going to focus a lot of our attention on this, this concept, this promise, this hope, the hope of Easter. That even our past, even our past does not have that kind of power over us anymore if we live in the love of Christ every day. If we walk in his love and his grace and his mercy. I mean, some bad decisions, right? They're just honest mistakes. They don't have a lot of terrible consequences. We can all probably uh, say, name a few, right? Regrets, I've got a few, but then again, too few to mention. Uh, some of you are not old enough to know that song at all. Uh, if you've heard of a guy named Frank Sinatra, you know, he's, never mind. We all have some regrets, don't we? And some are just not a big deal, but some... Some are. Some are huge. The consequences of some of our past choices are heavy. And we still feel the pain and the loss and the heartache of, of what we caused to happen by the choices that we made. Is it possible that we don't have to be burdened by that anymore? That it doesn't have to control us anymore. That we don't have to keep going back to it over and over and over again. We can actually move on with a better life. Well, friends, the Gospels are full of stories of individuals who had messed up past. But who, after their encounter with Jesus, everything changed for them. It doesn't mean the, the, the past didn't happen. It doesn't mean it's like it magically went away. It just means that there was something about this relationship with Jesus and his love and his care and his power and his provision for us that, that transforms our past from something that holds us down to something we can learn from and, and God could use even for some good things now. It's a total transformation when you encounter Jesus and let his love have your past and take it. And do what only he can do with it. His love reigning over our past is one of the greatest hopes we have as we walk in the hope of Easter. When people placed their trust in Jesus, they were different. They were forgiven. They were made new. I love that concept. They were made new in Christ. That's what the love of Jesus offers every one of us. That no matter what's in our past... We can be made brand new because of his love for us. So today I want to look at three things in particular. Have you heard the old saying? I want to start with this one. This is the first one. Out with the old, in with the new, right? You heard that? Out with the old, in with the new. A lot of times we talk about uh, uh, New Year's Day like that, or we talk about some particular mark on the calendar or, or spring cleaning or whatever it is. Out with the old and in with the new. And, and that concept is a refreshing concept, isn't it? I like that idea of out with the old and in with the new. Well, the love of God removes all of the old sin and the shame and the guilt and the failures of our lives. When God's love reigns in us, it overpowers the hold that those things used to have on us. It, it, it removes their ability to have dominion and control over our hearts or our minds. Sue Ann and I have... Uh, done some remodeling in a house that we live in. We've lived in it now for a long time. 
when we first bought it, it had been a rental house for many years. And honestly, it had not been kept up very well, but it was a pretty good buy. And I took Suan over to look at it before we were going to make an offer on it. And she looked at it and said, no way. My wife's pretty particular. I like that because she picked me. Am I right? Yeah. You want your wife to be particular. And she looked at it and said, no way. But, but I had this ability, and, and I still do, to see something like that and, and think of, well, with this change here and this cosmetic change here and with some paint, maybe some new flooring, this could be really nice. It could be good. And, and that's true. And we're still seeing that because I haven't done all that yet. <laughs> We lived with shag carpet for years. I'm not talking about the new shag. I'm talking about the old shag, right? The 70s shag carpet for years. But, but being able to see how you could take that old flawed thing and make something new and fresh and good. We all like that, don't we? You know, probably the, the, the guy on TV, Chip Gaines, and he's got a show coming back out again, you know, where they, they go into homes and they, they make over these homes. They redo them, the Fixer Upper show. He, he kind of coined a phrase that, that has become really popular now. It's called Demo Day. Now, you know what Demo Day is, right? It's when they first go in there. The first thing you have to do, if you're going to make that house better and newer and, and, and really nice, you've got to demo the old stuff. You've got to get the old stuff out that you don't want there anymore, that keeps it from being what you want it to be. So Demo Day is, is fun. It's where you, you can just go. Sometimes they go in with a sledgehammer and they just beat stuff and tear it out, you know, and all that and saws and they cut stuff out. You know, it, it's to me, that's, when it comes to remodeling at our house, that's my favorite part. You can make a mess. You're supposed to make a mess with that. And then, you know, then comes the hard work of actually, <laughs> right? The, the, I'm not so good with the other part. But, but I can make a mess with anybody, right? The demo day is fun because it's, it's almost like a purging, a cleansing is taking place. And that's what the love of God in Christ can do for us. He could come into our hearts and minds and lives and demo out the old hard stuff, demolish the stuff, the strongholds that Satan has had in our lives and remove them from our lives and give us that, that new fresh start. And the amazing thing is, is when, you can, when you can really remove all the bad stuff that doesn't need to be there, it gives you a new clean slate to move forward with that you can now rebuild the way you want to be, the way you know God wants you to be in your life. That fresh start is one of the greatest blessings anybody could ever experience. The Bible says it like this in Psalm 103, in verse 12, I, I love this verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? It's infinity. It's infinity. It just keeps going. It never gets back to you again. As far as the east is from the west. You see, he removes our sin, our past, our failures so far away that we'll never have them held against us again. 
It doesn't mean the consequences on this earth just disappear. They're lingering consequences to the choices and decisions we make. That's why moving forward, we need to make better decisions. But it does mean they'll never be held against us on our record before God ever again. And that's refreshing, isn't it? I mean, whose who's judgment do we care the most about? Should we care the most about? God's. And if they're removed as far as the east is from the west, they'll never appear on our record again. Ever be used against us again. You become a new creation. Your past does not control your present or your future as a child of God. If you got your Bibles, be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. We're going to be looking at a section of, of Scripture there in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 17. Paul introduces this concept. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, he says. The old is gone and the new is here. Remember, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, what are you supposed to do? What's it there for? There you go. See what it's there for. If you look previous to that verse, he's talking about the love of God demonstrated in his willingness to sacrifice for us and, and, and pay that price for us that we couldn't pay ourselves. Therefore, because of his love, because of his, the reign of his love in our lives, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Paul sets up this teaching by bragging on God's amazing love that he would offer Jesus to rescue us on the cross. He so much wants us to be freed from our past that he would send his son here, Jesus, to, to, to pay that price on the cross so that we could be freed. He says, therefore, though, if you're where? Therefore, if anyone is where? In Christ. See, this promise isn't given to everybody. It's not available to everybody. It's only available to those who are in Christ. Now, that means it's available to everybody, but it doesn't mean everybody accepts the offer. It's there for anyone and everyone. But everyone has to make the choice to move from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. That phrase in Christ is used over 200 times in Paul's letters. You think he's emphasizing that? You think that's a point he wants to make? That, that the key to having freedom and, and victory over our past can only be found where? In Christ. That's the only place you can find this freedom from the past is in Christ. The world is trying desperately to tell people they can have this without Christ. That's nothing new. They've been trying that forever. But we all know, we all understand that, that no matter what we try to do and what the world says about our past and how the world tells us, oh, no big deal, don't worry about it, everything's good. We know better, don't we? You see, we know the guilt. We know the shame. We know the pain that we've caused. And the world can tell us all day long, no big deal, everything's fine. We know better than that. It's not. We need something more powerful than just somebody telling us it's all good. Right? People love to say it's all good. No big deal. It is a big deal when you hurt somebody. You get hurt by somebody. 
You fail your friend, your spouse, your family, your children. It's a big deal. And a big deal like that requires something big, powerful, amazing to give us the freedom to move past it. And even by a power greater than our own, bring something good even out of that bad stuff that we've done. Only a God of love can do that. Only a God who loves you so much he's willing to pay the price for you can do that for you. And that's what the story of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection is all about. You see, getting past our past is not something we can do on our own. We cannot overcome our sins and our failures and our mistakes on our own. So many people are working themselves to death trying to make up for bad things in their past. And no matter how much you do, how many good acts you perform, it never takes care of the past ever. It cannot do that for you. It's good to do good stuff but it doesn't remove the past. It doesn't free you from the guilt and the shame of the past. Only forgiveness can do that. Only true forgiveness can allow you to move past your past. So we have to understand how this works. You see, it's our sin that breaks our relationship with a holy God. It, it, it fractures that relationship. It, it separates us from a holy God. See, sin and holiness cannot dwell together in the same place. It cannot. Sin corrupts holiness. So sin can never dwell in the presence of righteousness and holiness ever. That's why people think, well, if you're good enough, you get into heaven. Do you still have sin unforgiven? You can't get into heaven. Heaven's a place of perfection, of pure holiness and righteousness. You cannot dwell there with your sin. Neither can I. And all the good things I try to do, it doesn't remove that sin. I still can't be in heaven with a holy God in his presence with that sin. That's the past that separates us. It breaks the relationship with a holy God. And the amazing thing about God's love reigning in our lives is this. That love is what prompted him and, 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 and allowed him to be able to say, I will, I will do what only I can do to make it possible for those people I love to be back in that relationship with me again. I want to have this relationship with them. And it's going to cost me everything, but I want it bad enough to do it. To do what it's going to take. To heal that brokenness. I'm going to pay the price for their sins. So they don't have to pay it themselves. And that's why he sent Jesus here. To die on that cross. It's because it was the only way we could ever be back right with God again. In our relationship with him. It's the only way. People bargain with God all the time and they try to work their way back into the good favor of God. And none of that fixes the problem. It requires payment for sin. It's the only thing that will fix the problem. And the only adequate payment for sin is for one who had no sin to take our place. And make the payment in our behalf. And that's Jesus. And that's what the cross is all about. It's the payment for our past being made there. And because of his payment there, we can experience a restored relationship with him. 
We could be back right with God again. If we confess our sin against God and receive his forgiveness, we can experience a restored relationship with him. Love can reign again in our lives. Not only that, but when we become conduits of this love, God can use us to share this love with others. That's the second thing I want us to see today, and that's this. See, see what he wants us to see about this love is, is it's not just God's love for us. It's also God's love through us that he wants for us. Not just God's love for us, but God's love through us to others. God is very interested in you being able to be back in a right relationship with him and spending eternity with him. He wants that more than anything, right? That he would send Jesus here to do that. But you know who else he wants it for? Everybody else. You see, we've all done what? Sin. Does Mother Teresa need this? To be present with God in eternity? Absolutely. It doesn't matter how much good work she did in Calcutta. She still needed this payment for her sin. So you got to get it through your head. It's not about, I'm going to be good enough finally to get this done. No. And it's not about, okay, I got my act together, so now I can be with God. But these other people, they just don't have their act together. They probably can't. Right? And we start comparing ourselves with other people. I, I may have failed in the past, but I didn't do what that person did, right? I didn't mess up like they did. The wages of which sins are death? Do, do you get, all, all of them. You see, sin separates us from a holy God. That's, he's life. He's the source of life. All sin separates us from God, the source of life. All sin. This idea of comparing with others is... It's a terrible road to go down because it never takes you where God wants you to be, ever. The only comparison that needs to take place is us and the holiness of God. And that person that you love and care about and the holiness of God. And that person that you don't like and, and, and don't want to spend time with and the holiness of God. Those are the only comparisons that need to take place. Because in that scenario, with that comparison, how many of us measure up ever? None of us can ever measure up to the holiness of God. That's why that passage says all have sinned and come short of, right? We don't measure up to the holiness of God. We can't because of sin. It corrupts that ability to be able to be in that presence of holiness. And so God wants us to understand how much we need this. And in line with that, he wants us to understand that if we need it and all have sin, then everybody else needs it too. So he put the church on the earth so that we could do the work of helping people find their way to that love and that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness through us. Now, we talked about this last week a little bit. I want, I'll come back to it again. We do that in two ways, really. First of all, we, we need to live out the transformation that God has brought to our lives by example. Okay? So if we've been forgiven and we've received his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Remember last week we saw this. When we're baptized into Christ, he gives us a gift. That gift is the Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes to live in us. Now, the role and the work of the Spirit is to always be with us and help us be transformed. You see, being transformed by Jesus is not a one-and-done deal. 
The past is forgiven, but the transformation is then an ongoing process until Jesus comes back. You remember the passage in Corinthians about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those good, good things. All right, here, here's what happens. If, the, if we've been transformed and made new by the love of God and his payment for us, and he gives us his spirit, then what we are doing now is living, walking by the spirit, and the spirit begins to produce fruit in our lives. Love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness, self-control, all those things, the, the fruit of the spirit begins to be developed in our lives over time. I, I love it when people use the excuse, uh, I got hurt by the church and I'm not going to go to church anymore because people are, did bad things at the church. I got news for you. Any church reaching lost people will be a messy church. Always. Why? Because there are people in all different places in this process of growing up to be like Jesus and none of us has it all down right yet. It's an ongoing process. Of course, they're not going to be perfect. Of course, they're not always going to handle things right. Of course, they're not always going to say the right thing or do the right thing. They're a work in progress. God isn't finished with them yet. Just like he's not finished with me or you yet. It's supposed to be a growth process. If you quit church because somebody there didn't act right, then you totally don't understand church. You don't have a clue what it means to be part of the body of Christ. If you quit church because somebody there didn't do what they were supposed to do or act like they were supposed to act. And I got news for you. If that disqualified you from being at church, then you couldn't be here either. Because you're not always doing everything right either. Acting right, saying the right things, doing the right things all the time either. You see, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God doesn't mean magically now we're mature followers of Christ. It means we get a fresh start so we could start again and do better this time and learn and listen and grow and develop over time into the image of Christ. It's an ongoing process. And God wants us to be in that process so that we are committed to it. So we show other people what that looks like. He doesn't expect us to, to show what perfection looks like to other people. Only Jesus could do that. He expects us to show what it means to be in Christ on that path growing up to be like Jesus. He wants us to set that example for people. Then you got people on the other side of that who say, well, well, you know, Jesus ate with sinners. You know, he hung out with sinners. So that's what I'm supposed to do now. I'm okay with that now. That's what God's okay with that now. Uh, yeah, Jesus ate with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. You see the difference there? He hung out with them, but he didn't do what they were doing. He didn't participate with them in their sin. And if we're going to grow up to be like Jesus, you can be around sinners, but it's not okay to participate in their sin. It's not. See, that's part of the transformation. That's part of the growth that needs to start happening, the change that needs to be happening in our lives. And we set that example for others. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it does mean that, that I, I listen to what Jesus says about how I need to, to, to respond to this. I listen to what Jesus says about how I need to act, about, about what kind of husband I need to be or wife or, or mom or dad or friend or worker or, or boss. I'm, I'm learning from Jesus how to do those things. I'm following what he teaches about those things. 
And we set that example because here's what I know about everybody. If we started doing that consistently, people would notice a difference in our lives. Which leads to the second thing we need to be doing. And that is not only setting the example right, but also telling people about what's happening to us and why it's happening. We need to talk to people about what it means to come to know Jesus and the change that Jesus has brought to our lives and how grateful we are for the forgiveness for our past and how refreshing it is to know his grace and his mercy and his love. We need to actually use words and tell people about those things. We need to share our stories of coming to know Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus with the people around us. See, you telling your story is a lot more effective in bringing lost people to Jesus than the greatest sermon I could preach here this morning. Because a lot of the people that need to hear it aren't here. And they're not going to be here until somebody shares their story with them about what Jesus has done for them and their lives. That's how they're going to come to know Jesus. And I love that we can have great services and great music and all. You can go to great Christian concerts and all those good things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But are we telling our story to the people who don't know Jesus yet? You see, we're called to make disciples, right? That means people who aren't already following Jesus need to hear our story about what it means to start following Jesus. How many of those do we have in our lives? How many interactions are we having like that? in our lives right now. So he wants his love to be seen not only in us, but through us. So right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand how this works. How many of you have a favorite sports team? Raise your hand. All right, a lot of, almost all of you. How many of you a favorite musician, entertainer? Raise your hand. All right, I got almost everybody else. How many of you have a, a favorite person in your life that you really love, you really like, okay? All right, so uh, the person that near you, just turn to them and say either your team or, or the entertainer or whoever, just say their name to the person next to you right now. Go dogs, all right? Yeah, just whoever, right? Whatever. There you go, all right? You know what? That was really easy for you. It should be just that easy to say, That's who Jesus is to me. I I love Jesus. I'm so passionate about Jesus. Right? You see, it's not just God's love in us. It's God's love through us. And that is shared with action and with words, both together. Not just one or the other. If you try to do it with just words, but they don't see the example in your life, then those words are going to fall flat. They may even create worse enemies, right? If they don't see that you're trying to live this out in your life. But if they can see you living it out, then the words carry great power and meaning and impact. So the combination of those two, God's love being seen in us and through us and how we live and what we say. Listen to what he says on in 2 Corinthians 5, right? Pick up with verse 18 there. Remember he says we're made new in Christ. It's verse 17, okay? Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us what? The message of reconciliation. He says, we are therefore, okay? Since God has given us this ministry, therefore, he says, here's what we are now. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God's given us a ministry. People say all the time, Pastor Andy, how do you know you were called to the ministry? Because we all are. That's how I know. We've all been given a ministry. Now, it's lived out in different ways. Mine is a preaching, teaching type of ministry. And I love it. And I believe God has called me to that. And that's a good thing. But we're all called to the ministry of, what does it say here? Reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is? It's when two parties are at odds. They've had a broken relationship or a broken agreement of some kind. And now someone comes in there to help those two parties be reconciled, make that relationship right again. God wants you to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. So that the people around you who have a broken relationship with God, who aren't right with God, who don't know the love of God or the grace or the forgiveness of God, that God uses you to help them find their way back to the love of God in their lives, the forgiveness and the grace of God in their lives. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. You are. Everybody listening online, you are called to the ministry of reconciliation. If you know this in your life, God wants to work in you and through you to help others be reconciled to him too. All of us are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Which leads to the last thing, the amazing thing that makes this all uh, something that, that we actually can do. Here, here's the thing. Our sinfulness, because of the love of God, the reign of the love of God in our lives, our sinfulness is actually replaced by God's righteousness. See, there, a great exchange took place on the cross. It, it wasn't just Jesus dying for us. It was actually Jesus taking our place there. See, we should have been on a cross. We should be paying the price for our own sins. But instead, what Jesus did, uh, the scripture says he became sin for us. He became sin for us. He exchanged his righteousness. Remember, he lived without sin. He had no sin at all. And yet on that cross, he took our sin upon himself. He exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness. And then he gave us in exchange his righteousness. Doesn't mean we're perfect now that we'll never make another mistake. It means that the sins can be forgiven, taken off the record. It means that in the eyes of God, when God looks at those who are in Christ, do you know what he sees? The righteousness of Christ. When he looks at you and he looks at me, he could see every flaw in my life, but he doesn't. You know what he sees? He sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of his son. I've been given that in exchange for my sinfulness. And so as God sees me now, he sees me in Christ. Maybe some of you in this room need to hear this today. Maybe you need to hear it online. Somebody listening today. If you are united with Christ in baptism, then God does not see your sin anymore. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, he said this. So in Christ Jesus, you are, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Did you hear that? When you're baptized into Christ, it's like you put on Christ. 
and the covering of his blood, his righteousness is what God sees in you now. When he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. He sees the payment that he made on the cross. He sees that sin's been removed. He sees only the righteousness of Christ. It's not that complicated. It's really not. We try to make it way too complicated. We do. I, I, I know churches make it complicated sometimes or make it sound complicated, but it's not complicated. Here, it comes down to this. Let's look at verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. Here's what he says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an exchange. If you accept what he did for you on the cross, he says, okay, I will be the one who bears your sin. You don't have to be that person anymore who bears your own sin. I will bear it for you. And instead, I was sinless. So I will give you that righteousness for your life. So that when God looks at you, he sees only righteousness. You, know, you don't know what I've done. God does. And he makes this offer to you just like he does to anybody else. Don't overcomplicate this. Don't overthink this. Don't try to think, well, there's some loophole here where this doesn't work for me. It's for everybody. It's for every person who would accept the offer. Everyone. Notice what he went on to say. Verse, chapter 6 and verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Here's the only complication at all, if there is one. It's this. The offer is there now, but you don't know how long it's going to be there. You don't know how long the opportunity is going to stay. And here's why. Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when. You don't waste your time trying to figure that out. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about trying to figure out all the prophecies and everything so you know exactly when it's going to happen. That's not ever what God has called us to do as a church, ever. Don't get mixed up in that. Instead of that, you know he's coming back. So how should you live now? Ready for him to come back anytime. You see, when it happens, doesn't change anything about how we ought to be living. Does it change anything about what we ought to be teaching? Does it change anything about what we ought to be practicing as a church? Does it change any of that? It means we always ought to be living that way, teaching those things, preparing for the coming of Christ, always. But here's the thing. The other thing that could happen is we don't know how much longer we've got on the earth. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. So we're all going to die. We all know family or friends or stories of people who died totally unexpectedly, thought they had more time, were planning to one day, you know, get things right with God. And as far as we know, never did. Now, here's the deal. That doesn't mean we should live in fear of that. How do you get rid of that fear? You take care of it right now. When's the day of salvation? today and if you're alive tomorrow when's the day of salvation tomorrow right any day every day is the day God is offering this grace this love this mercy this forgiveness but we don't know how many more days we are going to be around for this exchange to occur for us 
So he says, here's the answer to that. In the time of my favor, I heard you in the day of salvation. I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now's the day of salvation. I want to close with this. You remember Saul who became Paul, who wrote these passages in Corinthians that we've been reading today, right? Saul was a persecutor of the church, but one day on the road to Damascus there to arrest Christians, he has this face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, remember? And, and in that encounter, he, he falls to the ground and he's struck blind. And, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Go into the city. It'll be told there what I, my plan is for your life. He goes into the city and there God has this guy, Ananias, there talk, waiting for him with the message that God wanted him to have. Ananias prayed for him and restored his sight. He's had this great experience, right? And what does Ananias say to him? In verse 16 of Acts 22, and Ananias looks at him and he says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Isn't that the question? What are you waiting for? Uh, what have you got to get worked out first? What can you get worked out before you do this? What are you waiting for? Before you make things right in your relationship with God. Well, well, I've got some things to fix in my marriage first. I've got some things to fix at work. First. I've, got, I've got to, you know, pay off some debt first. Or whatever, you know, we think of all these things. Once I get those things done, then I can make things right with God. I got news for you. None of those things will make things right with God. Even if you've got the greatest marriage in the world, even if you've got your debts paid off, even if you've got uh, great friends all around you, none of those things makes things right with God because the only thing keeping you from being right with God is sin. And the only way to make things right with God is to have that exchange take place where Jesus takes your place and takes your sin from you, removes that from your record so that you can be right with God again. So the question is, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ, we can be made brand new. The old can truly be gone out with the old, really in with the new. It's, an, it's a new existence. It's a new life. And it starts fresh and new with all the opportunities for your spirit to work on us and in us and through us to transform us into your image. Help us, Father. If there's anybody today that needs to, to be made right with you, that today they would come and they would take the steps they need to take have not yet been baptized, they can do that today. If they already have been, but they just need to repent and return to you and your mercy and your grace, your mercies are still there for them, new for them today. If they would take that step, Father, help them to know that today things could be made right with you and they could move forward from this day, new creatures in Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen.